What comes to mind when you hear the word church? What's the, the, the picture that comes to mind? What's the word that comes to mind when you hear the word church? There's probably all sorts of ways that we can answer that. Some of you, you think of church, how many of you think of church potlucks? Remember in the basement, you know, you've got the, the, the basement church coffee. Maybe for you, uh, you think about worship. Maybe, maybe you've had a, a struggle with church, and so maybe you hear the word church and you think of hypocrisy. Maybe you think of, of pastors. Maybe you hear the word church and you think uh, uh, money. Like, like what word comes to mind when you hear the word church? How many of you would say the word that comes to mind is institution? The church is an institution. Chances are that whatever word comes to mind when you hear the word church is probably different than what existed when the church began in its very beginning, in the inception of the church. You see, in the very beginning of the church, long before we were around, uh, the church was a movement. It was a movement built around a conviction. The church was a movement built around the conviction that Jesus died as the only way for, for sinners to be saved. That Jesus died, he was buried, he rose from the grave to secure our forgiveness and our salvation and our eternal life. And the church carried the message then that Jesus did these things, and in response, we are to put our faith in him and trust him in repentance and faith. That is what the church was. It was a, a movement. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, or excuse me, when you look at the New Testament, you see the word church. It comes from this word ecclesia, which means to be a called out assembly. Which means the church, the very beginning, the very idea of what church is, what the word means is that the church Christians are supposed to be a, a gathering of people who are centered around an idea. Now, years ago, the word church began to, to change. Where no longer was church just a movement centered around an idea, a church became known as a place. A place where you come for religious services. In fact, our word church that we use in the English language actually doesn't come from the New Testament. It comes from, uh, it comes from the German word kirsch, which means a sacred place where you gather for religious services. You see, this shift occurred uh, during the Dark Ages, where no longer was the church a movement. The church became a, a place where people went. You went to church. You attended, you, you, you sat through an event rather than becoming a part of a movement. And I think that is when the church shifted from being a movement to being an institution. In fact, let me just, we're going to use these terms today, institution and movement. So let me just define institution for you. An institution is a place where you go to receive services. An institution is a place that benefits those who come and visit it. Okay? That is one way to view the church, is the church is an institution. It's a place you go, and you receive religious services, and you benefit from it when you go to it. Now, a movement, on the other hand, is different. A movement is not static in one place. A movement is on the move. It is in motion. It is moving. A movement impacts everything around it, not just those who come. A movement impacts everything in and around the movement. So here's what happened. The church 
in those dark ages began to shift. Instead of being a movement, it became an institution. People came, they received religious services, and that was it. And something happened uh, a couple hundred years ago. There's a group of people called the Reformers. Guys like William Tyndale, who, who, who began to be very convicted that Christianity wasn't supposed to be an institution. It was supposed to be a movement. And so William Tyndale is looking at Scripture and saying, man, the church is supposed to be a movement, but we've changed it into an institution. And he's like, what do we do to fix this? So William Tyndale had this genius idea. He said, if people, if Christians, if they could just read the message of Christianity, if they could read the message of what Christianity is all about, that they would understand that the church isn't to be an institution, it's supposed to be a movement. So William Tyndale had this crazy idea to take the Bible and to translate it into common language, to translate it into English where everybody would have access to read the message and the words of Christ. In fact, he was so passionate about this that as William Tyndale worked to translate uh, the original languages into English, every time that word ecclesia came up, that word church, he translated it as congregation rather than church. Because he wanted those who read it to understand the church is not something you go to to receive services. The church is something that you are a part of. It is a movement that you belong to. Well, if you know anything about church history, William Tyndale, in his desire to make the word of God accessible to all people, then translate the Bible into English, uh, there were some people that didn't like that. And he infuriated those institutional religious leaders who arrested him as a heretic and uh, was sentenced him to, to be hanged and burned at the stake. <laughs> Not the way you want to end your life. Yet, Tyndale, preparing to die, this is what he, he said. He said, you know, if people would understand, if they could read the scriptures for themselves, they would understand the church is to be a movement. So this is his, his last recorded words. He prayed and said, God, would you open the king of England's eyes? He thought if the king of England could see the word of God, see scripture in English, then the king of England would allow the, the Bible to be translated. And then people would understand the church is not an institution, it's a movement. If you've ever heard of the King James Version of the Bible, that tells you that God answered William Tyndale's prayer. And, and very much today, we have the Bible because of men like William Tyndale who took a stand to say, we need the Word of God. Now, I know some of you are like, hey, I came to church. Why are we talking history? Well, this is why we are talking history, because I want to ask this question. Again, we say church, and we have all these pictures that come to mind. And I want to ask the question, like, what is the purpose of the church? Why does a church exist? Is a church simply a place that we come for religious services to receive something? Is a church a social club where we come and we make some friends and we have some fun and we go on our way? Is a, a is a church a place you go to if you need to make a change in your life, but really that's what you go to it and that's what it is? Maybe... More specifically, is the church an institution or is it supposed to be a movement? We are starting a new series today in the book of Acts. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, Restoration Church, this May, we celebrate 10 years old as a church, which is pretty darn exciting. Let me just say that, right? In church planning worlds, uh, four out of 10 churches, 40% of churches don't ever make it to four years old. 
And so the fact that we are here 10 years later, like, praise God. Praise God for what God has done here at Restoration Church. And I'm so excited to be able to celebrate 10 years together. But what happens in church is as a church, as time goes on, sometimes churches, they kind of go into auto drive, kind of like a Tesla, right? They just push a button and they kind of go into this auto drive where they kind of start going through the motions. They just start doing what seems easy, what seems natural. Uh, they, They prioritize what feels stable. Because when you start having an organization, an institution to take care of, you long for stability. Because when you can pursue stability, you sleep better at night. It feels a little easier to say we've got some stability behind us. But sometimes when you do that, what happens is you have this drift. Where, where, where you hit that auto drive, you hit what's convenient, you go for just going through the motions, and you drift away from your purpose. You drift away from why you started the thing in the very first place. And that is when the church becomes an institution rather than a movement. And I think about the last couple of years, everything we've had to deal with. We've had to deal with global pandemics. We've had to deal with uh, politically charged climates. We're dealing with churches who are continuing to, to drift further away from the gospel and further away from what this book has to say. Like, that's the culture we live in. We, we're living in a culture that are, we are morally and spiritually decaying all around us. This is why as we get ready to celebrate 10 years as a church, I want to reopen the book that we started 10 years ago. We started the book of Acts 10 years ago. I want to come back to this book because this book is a source book for how the church started. In the book of Acts, we see the the foundations of the church. We see its function, its purpose, its power. This is the perfect time for us to look at the early church because we're going to see that they had this tremendous uh, faith and joy and zeal and commitment and, and obedience to the things of God. And God used that. God used that in the early church to make them a movement that changed the world around them. And that is my hope for us. But as we strive for those same things, as we strive to have that same kind of zeal and faith and hope and devotion and commitment, that maybe we would be like that early church, that we'd become a movement, and God would use us to change everything around us, our neighborhoods, our city, everything that we touch. The book of Acts, if you're unfamiliar, it's the fifth book of the New Testament. My Bible, when I open it, it starts on page 980. Yours will be somewhere a little different, but you might look around there to find the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by a a doctor by the name of Luke. Uh, Luke is a physician. He he wrote two books of the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. In fact, he is writing to a guy by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus is thought to be some... Uh, perhaps a, a government leader, government official. Uh, they think perhaps Theophilus is a guy who, who funded Luke's writing project. And as you see, both in the book of Luke and the book of Acts, you see Luke is trying to teach Theophilus some things about Jesus and the disciples. Now, if you look at these two books, you might look at the book of, of Luke, and you see Luke is all about Jesus and all the things that Jesus has done. Now, then you read the book of Acts, and you're like, hey, the book of Acts is all about the early church. It's all about the apostles of Jesus. You might think these two books have two different meanings, right? The book of Luke is all about Jesus. 
And the book of Acts is all about the early church. That's why the book is commonly known as Acts of the Apostles. But here's the thing. When Luke sat down to write the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he didn't have two different purposes. There wasn't two different meanings. In fact, look how he starts. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in my first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus, and I want you to circle this word, all that Jesus began to do and teach till the day that he was taken up, after he had given many commands through his uh, Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, and he presented himself alive uh, to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them over 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, what Luke said is, is the gospel of Luke, the book of Luke, is about what Jesus began to do. You're going to see his life, his death, his resurrection, all of those things. And the, and the, the book of Acts is a continuation. It's a continuation of what, Jesus, of what Jesus is continuing to do through the Holy Spirit and through those apostles. And I'll say, I'm so excited for this series to open up the book of Acts. I want to look at the early church. I want to see how God used the early church. I want to see how God used those disciples and those apostles and how God used them to transform the world around them. But let me say, we would completely miss the point if we do not realize that the book of Acts is all about Jesus. It is a continuation of what Jesus started in the book of Luke. This is why this past year, we did that sermon series called The Story, where we're trying to see that every book of the Bible, every page of the Bible is pointing us and telling us a story of what Jesus is doing, what he has done, and what he wants to do in the future. So, Here's my summary. You want to know what the book of Acts is all about? Here's what I'm going to give you. This is, uh, this is uh, my summary of the book of Acts. The books of book of Acts is how Jesus takes the disciples and the early church and turns them into a movement that changes the world. Over the next couple of months, as we are in the book of Acts, we're going to continue to see how Jesus takes the apostles and the early church and turns them into a movement that turns their world upside down. And here, Acts chapter 1, the very beginning of it all, which is a pretty important place to start because we're going to see that there are a couple of foundations. If we want to be a movement for Jesus, there's a couple of foundations that we find in Acts chapter 1 that were significant for, for the early church, and they're just as significant for Restoration Church today. The first thing we're going to see, first foundation that enables us to become a movement for Jesus is we've got to understand that we have a clear purpose to testify to the good news about Jesus. Very clearly, uh, Luke says this in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Listen, this verse right here is the theme for the entire book of Acts. Right here. That, that Luke says, You will be my witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will, will testify on everything that I have done. You will tell others what I've done and what I'm going to do. Now, this word witness is a term we use in court. A witness is, is someone who testifies or tell others what they have seen and what they have heard. A witness doesn't really have anything to do other than to tell others what's already happened. Do you get this idea like, that is what we are supposed to do as Christians, is tell other people what Jesus has done. And the question then becomes, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he answered it for us already. In verse 3, he says, 
Jesus presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And by many proofs, he appeared to them over the period of 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Listen, Christians in this room today, our job is to be witnesses, to testify, to tell others of what Jesus has done. That we tell others that Jesus is God in the flesh. We tell others that Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I could not live. We're to tell others that Jesus suffered on the cross and died in our place. We're to tell others that Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and death and hell, securing our forgiveness, securing our salvation. We're to tell others that that, that Jesus calls us to put our faith in him and repent of our sins and trust him as our savior. Listen, Christian, that is what your purpose is. That is is what he calls us to do, to be his witnesses. This is what we call the good news. This is what we call the gospel of Jesus. It is what Jesus has done for us. It is so significant that we understand because this is our purpose. This is the message that Jesus has entrusted us as Christians, as a church. And he says, here's your job. You're to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which means we are to be testifying and telling others in our own city, in our state, in our country, and across the world. Essentially, Jesus is saying, listen, here's my, here's my mission. I'm giving it to you. You are a part of my mission of spreading the gospel across the world. Now, I don't think scripture could be more clear as to our purpose. But you know what I find is funny? It's how we as Christians, how quick we are to forget our purpose or to be confused about our purpose. And rather than being witnesses of the cross of Jesus and the good news, isn't it funny how we as as Christians in this church, we get our purpose mixed up and we think our purpose is to do other things, right? Like sometimes we think our purpose as Christians is, is we're, to, we're to be holy people. We're to live God-honoring lives. Listen, there's truth to that. But hear me, that's not your primary purpose. Well, we think our purpose is to convict the world and convince the world that the Bible's true. I mean, as a Christian, we, we, ought, we ought to be arguing on Facebook so everybody believes the Bible, right? There's, there, there's some benefit to that, but that's not our, our purpose, Well, our purpose at the church, our purpose is to alleviate people's sufferings through social justice causes. Listen, there's a benefit to being involved in those things, but that's not our purpose. Well, our purpose, we need to infiltrate the government and make a bunch of Christian laws and improve the morality of our country. There might be some good in that, but that's not our purpose. Well, our purpose is to seclude ourselves from the world to separate ourselves from the world so we don't become polluted like them. Listen, that's not your purpose, church. In fact, I I have a pastor friend that I've known for years, a guy that uh, I actually went to high school with, known him for a a long time. Good man, I think he loves the Lord. And I remember having this conversation with him about uh, his church, and he said, listen, our church is here so we can uh, show the power of the Holy Spirit. Our church is here so people know that the Holy Spirit can heal the sick, can raise the dead, can, can, can uh, set the captives free. 
Listen, I believe the Holy Spirit does those things. But that is not our purpose. What is our purpose? What did he say? We are to be his witnesses. Which means we're supposed to tell people about Jesus and what he's done. Like that is our primary purpose. Is that we would tell people, hey, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he did for you. And here's how to have a relationship with him. But isn't it funny when we say that word church, how many of us have a different mind about what church is really all about? No, church, our purpose, we've got to have clear. Our purpose, why we exist as an organization, as a group of people, is to be witnesses of what Jesus has done, to tell others about the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. Second foundation of we're going to become a movement. Number one, We've got to be clear in our purpose. And number two, we've got to depend on the right power to accomplish that purpose. I think this is why so many churches get stuck being institutions rather than movements. Because so often we look and we start building a church on our own wisdom. We build a church on, well, this seems to make the most logical sense for how to do this thing that we call church. In fact, I've been in in full-time ministry for 18 years. Eight years at Madison House, 10 years here at Restoration Church now. I can't tell you, man, I can't tell you. I probably get eight emails a day about some guy saying, hey, here's a new book. Here's a seminar. Here's a podcast. Here's a conference you need to go to that tells you, listen, if you do these things, you will will grow a big church. If 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 you teach this right sermon series, if you have this right type of ministry, if you, if you train your leaders in this way, if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, then your church will be successful, you'll accomplish everything that God calls you to do, and you'll be some great big church. And that sounds really good to our human wisdom. But again, we look at the early church. Before the church even existed, the church is still two weeks out. Jesus has these disciples together, and this is what he says to them. He says, you've got to know where the power comes from from this movement. He says in verse 4, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What was the promise? Jesus told the disciples, you want me to go because if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. I will send the comforter to you, which he promised in the Gospels. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, guys, you guys want to change the world. He says, you guys want to go and, and, and charge the gates of hell. That's awesome, but hold up a second. Just, just hold up just one second. Before you do that, before you can become a movement, before you, you accomplish your purpose, you don't need to read some books. You don't need to, to work harder than other people. You don't need the right systems and the right leaders in place. Those things aren't bad. But he says, if you're going to become a movement, you've got to realize that the power and the fuel behind the the movement is the power of the Holy Spirit. That you need the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and to go before you and do the heavy lifting. This is why Jesus said, or this is why Luke said in in verse 8, he said, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, when the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, then you will be my witnesses. You see, so often we get the Holy Spirit wrong. We think the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is all these miraculous things of healing people and raising the dead. Listen, the Holy Spirit does those things. 
But the reason we have the Holy Spirit is right here. He just said this. When you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my what? Witnesses. So you know how, you, you know how we become witnesses? You know how we complete our purpose? Through the Holy Spirit. That is why we have the Holy Spirit. In fact, as you read the book of Acts, every page, you get the sense that the, 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 the apostles, the church, is simply yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them and through them. Acts chapter 2. The disciples are waiting, and it says, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden they began to speak the word of God in different tongues. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he testified uh, about Jesus before the religious rulers who were threatening to take his life. Acts chapter 4, verse 35, it says, The apostles were filled with the Spirit, and the building began to shake. And despite that, the disciples boldly spoke the word of God. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, he publicly proclaims Jesus and becomes the first Christian martyr. Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul is filled with the Spirit. And a guy who was a hater of Jesus starts preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. You see this again and again and again. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one leading and guiding. And I think about how many of us live our lives according to our own wisdom. How many of us think about church based on, well, I read this book and it said church should be done this way. Or, you know, I've got some leadership experience and I think that leadership should be done this way. In fact, one of my pastor friends said this week, actually he didn't say this, he said this a while ago and I read it this week. He said, if, if the Holy Spirit were to be removed from the earth today, there's no Holy Spirit. He said 95, 95% of what happens at the church would continue. Because we trust in our own wisdom. We trust in our own logic as opposed to being led by the Holy Spirit. And if, we're gonna be, if the early church is going to become a movement, they've got to understand their power comes from the Holy Spirit. He's a real mover and shaker. With that, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you'll be my witnesses. Verses 9 through 11, Jesus ascends into heaven on a cloud. And where is he at right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding on our behalf. He's our mediator before God. That's what he's doing right now. There was one last thing, though. One last thing before we're done. If we're going to be a movement, the third thing we've got to understand is our members have to be unified in our purpose and in our power. Here's what it says, verse 12. When they returned to Jerusalem, they gathered in the upper room where they were staying, and all the apostles are there, all of them except for Judas. And verse 14, here's what it says. All of these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, along with women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You see that? They were all in one accord, which means they were of one mind, which means they had one purpose which means they were unified. These apostles, man, all of these guys have different gifts, different personalities, different temperaments, different ways that they think church should be done. Yet, they came together in one accord and understood, listen, we have one purpose. We have one power. 
And they allow themselves to say, all these things I make is different. We're going to be unified in this. Unified in our purpose and unified on where success is going to come from. And here's, here's what this whole passage is teaching us. Here's a summary for this message. Here's what it means for us today. Is our church, the church becomes a, a movement when we unite ourselves as witnesses of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if we want to be a movement, if we want to be something more than just an institution, if we want to change the world around us, we want to begin to change our neighborhoods and our city and our country, it's when we understand we're unified in our purpose, that we are witnesses of Jesus to tell others about him. And we are fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own wisdom, not our own logic. And I don't know about you, but the more I hear about the early church, the more inspired I am. I read about this and I'm like, man, church in that day seems so different than ours. Right? We read in the book of Acts, we're going to hear some amazing stories in the book of Acts. We're going to hear about uh, uh, tongues of fire settling on, on, on Christians and then be able to speak in tongues and people could understand what they were saying in their own language. So I'd be speaking up here and you could hear me in French and, and Spanish and German and all those other languages as well. We're going to hear about, about uh, in a single day, thousands of people uh, coming to faith in Jesus. We're going to read about walls coming tumbling down. We're going to, I mean, it's crazy some of the amazing things that the church happens in the early church. We're going to see that they changed the world around them. I want that here. I want to see God move like that in Yakima. I want to see God move like that in my family, in my neighborhood. I want us not just to be an institution. I want us to be a movement. Not a place that we come and we receive religious services. I want us to be a church in motion that is changing everything around us. I mean, you ever, you ever met that person? You ever met that person? And you can't help but feel like just something about them. You feel their love. You feel their joy. You feel their, like you're just around them. You're like, man, I love being around them because isn't that a little bit the way the church is supposed to be? That everything around us, they just feel, man, there's something different about this place. It's a movement. It's not just an institution. The question is, how do we get there? How do we be that? And this is the application. It's one-point application. Here's what it is. You ready for it? It's an invitation. I want you to get in the Honda. Get in the Honda. Notice they were of one accord, so the invitation is to get in the Honda. <laughs> you see how I did that there? That. Preacher jokes, right? Preacher jokes, come on. See, the early church, they gathered in that four-door sedan, right? They crammed themselves together not in a literal Honda, but the idea is they were unified. They knew their purpose. They knew where the power was going to come from. Despite the fact that they have different ideas and different temperaments and different giftings, they said, no, we're going to unify that we have one purpose, and that is to tell people about Jesus. 
They unified in, we're going to trust not in our wisdom and not in our knowledge and not in our strength. We're going to trust in the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And because of that, they changed the world. And that's the invitation for you. To get in the Honda with us. Be of one accord with us. Help us figure out how to remain faithful as witnesses of Jesus. Help us be a people that are not trusting in our knowledge and our wisdom, but trusting in the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. Look around you. This is our Honda. This is our Honda. Yeah? Is our Honda look perfect? No, there's a window over here that doesn't roll down. This door lock over here doesn't open up. But this is our Honda. And if we would just be unified together, it's why we exist as a church. It's how we accomplish it. What do you think God could do in us and through us? What do you think God could do in our city? So let me ask you a couple of questions on getting in the Honda. Number one, are you a witness of Jesus? Are you telling others what Jesus has done about his love, his forgiveness, his salvation? Because when you've experienced the joy of his salvation, when you've experienced freedom in Christ, and when you've experienced joy and redemption, you can't help but tell other people about it. That's that guy that you meet, the guy that you meet that's in CrossFit, and he's like, dude, CrossFit has totally changed my life. I'm going to tell you all about it. This is, this is a woman you meet who's like, hey, I've got some essential oils i like to tell you about because it'll revolutionize your life. When you find something that is that impactful to you, you can't help but tell other people about it. Listen, are you a witness of Jesus? Are you telling other people about what Jesus has done for you? I know some of us are like, well, I don't tell other people about Jesus. I just live my life, and I let my life show them about Jesus. That's a cool idea. But here, here's the thing. The gospel is not a good example. The gospel is a message about what Jesus has done. I mean, we love this idea that, that well, I'll just live my life, and other people will know about Jesus. You ever try to watch TV on mute? Try to watch a movie with no volume on it? I think they did those in the 1920s. They don't do those anymore. How come? Yeah, because you can't understand what's happening. And, and sometimes people were like, well, what about St. Saint, Saint Francis of Assisi? He said, preach the gospel everywhere, and if necessary, use words. Well, you know what, Frank San, you, know, you know what his job was? That guy was a preacher. That, he, he was a preacher. So I'm guessing he's like, yeah, when I live my life in a way, it validates what I'm telling people. You can't be a witness of Jesus without telling people about him. In fact, just to make this a little bit more uncomfortable for you, Charles Spurgeon, he said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either telling people about Jesus or you're an imposter. Here's what he said. He said, if Jesus is precious to you, 
You are not able to keep the good news to yourself. You're whispering it in your child's ear. You are telling your husband. You are sharing with a friend. You may not have words of eloquence, but what could be more eloquent than your heart? You speak and your eyes flash as talk of his sweet love. If you really knew Jesus, you'd be like the one who found honey and is calling others to taste of its sweetness. Yeah, as Christians, yeah, our role is to tell others about what he has done. And I think that question is, if we're not telling others about what he has done for us, maybe we haven't understood what he's done for us. Maybe we haven't received it. Maybe, like Charles Spurgeon said, maybe we're imposters. Number one, are you a witness of Jesus and telling others about what he has done for us? Number two, are you yielding to the Spirit? Are you living according to the Spirit or are you living according to your own wisdom and your own comfort? Because in the early church, they became a movement. The world changed around them. Because they yielded to the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, as you look around your circle, you look at your circle of influence, your family, your, 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 your home, your neighborhood, your work, is anything around you changing? Maybe it's because many of us are living according to our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our own understanding, and not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. In fact, <laughs> 12 years ago, 11 and a half years ago, 11 years ago, Sam and I sat down together and we came up with a five-year plan for our life. You guys ever do that? It was a fun process to do. We had this plan, hey, here's what God's going to do with us in the future. Here's what we're going to do for work. Here's what we're going to do. And guess what? Church planting was never in our mind. I was not going to be a pastor. Not what I was going to do. Until the Holy Spirit came knocking. And I'll tell you what, 10 years of having a church has been the 10 hardest years of my life. You should have seen the head of hair I had on me 10 years ago. It was crazy. It was, it was beautiful. It was a mane. The last 10 years have been some of the hardest years of my life. But you know what? When you follow the Holy Spirit, you begin to see the Holy Spirit do some tremendous things. And I think about these 10 years, I think about, think about all these people that have been baptized. Think about marriages that we've seen restored and redeemed. Think about people in addiction set free. That's when you see the Holy Spirit at work. When you surrender and say, man, this might be more comfortable for me. This might be what I'd prefer, but I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to work. There's a gal in our church and I didn't ask permission, so I'm not using her name. But a couple years ago, we went on a mission trip to Mexico, to, to, to Baja, Mexico. And this gal is a sweet gal, and, and she's she just living her life, trying to follow Jesus. And, and she said, you know what? This is totally out of my comfort zone. It scares me. I've never done anything like this. But I think I'm going to follow. I think I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. And she goes on this mission trip, and man, God does some amazing things in her life. God does some amazing things through her on the mission trip. She never would have tasted that if she was choosing what's comfortable and what's easy and what's convenient and what makes sense. 
So let me ask you, when is the last time you yielded to the Holy Spirit even when you didn't want to? When's the last time that you allowed God to break you out of your comfort zone? Again, we have this preference. This is the way I want my life to work. I want it to be easy and smooth. Here's my boundaries, God. You can't break my boundaries. When's the last time you yielded to the Holy Spirit to break you out of those boundaries? Again, if the Holy Spirit were to leave the earth today, how much of your life looks the same? Where is it you're allowing God to work in you and through you? You know, that early church, they were together in one accord. And what were they doing in that accord? Driving down to Yakima Avenue? Radio blaring, no. They were praying. Praying that they would be witnesses praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. So I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone. And in our Honda today, the people around you, I'll give you about three, three minutes. I want you to turn around. I want you to pray with somebody. I want to say, listen, if we're going to become a movement, then we need to pray together. So I'm going to ask you, you've got about three minutes. I'm going to ask you, turn. It's unco- you may not know the people around you. It's a great opportunity to get to know them. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for three things. Number one, I'm going to ask you to pray that we would be bold witnesses of Jesus. Pray for one another. God, help us to be bold witnesses. Number two, pray that we would yield to the Holy Spirit that we would see the Holy Spirit work in our lives and the lives of each other. And third, pray that the restoration would become a movement in our city, in our state, that we would see God do some amazing things in us and through us.